Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, uh, can you hear again after last night's Sixers game? What? Yeah, exactly. My, my ears are ringing. You know, I, I was at the finals in, with Allen Iverson, and this was louder. All right. Uh, give me your initial thoughts, and then we'll leave it there, do some Kentucky Derby horse racing with our guest, and then we'll get back to the Sixers after. But since you were there. Very simply. Yes. This is what the Philadelphia crowd should be, and this is what happens when they do it right. Okay, and you were in the no, end of no the, booing. You were the in the end of the building that had Joel Embiid's windmill dunk. Yes. coming correct. Uh-huh. Uh, so the seat started shaking. I was gonna say, tell me the explosion yeah. when that happened. You could see his eyes bulge out of his head <laughs> when he saw that lane, because so he did his typical fake, which I still don't understand why people go for that. And then he took one dribble and went up, and it was like he made the decision in midair, and then just windmill dunked it. And I'm telling you. It was the entire stadium just rose to its feet and like a wave, and it was just incredible to watch. And then he went down the court like an airplane and did the, yes. the ear, and Iverson lost his mind on the side. He's he, Look, <laughs> his personality is so perfect for this environment, for the sports environment. It's It's just incredible to have these guys, these personalities. It was very cool to see. I'm going to get back to the Sixers, but this is an exciting weekend for horse racing fans. Uh, we've got Jeff Nash here in studio with us who basically said that this is Christmas and Super Bowl. Uh, it's an exciting time for you, right, Jeff? It's a great time. It's the most exciting two minutes in sports, short of the windmill. Short, short of the windmill. And so when do you start your planning for the Kentucky Derby? You've been researching this for weeks. You've gone over the horses, some of the scratches this week, change it for you. When do you start? Yeah, I start when they make the official entries, which is the Tuesday before the race. So once the entries are made, um, I take a look at uh, some of my past performance sheets and start analyzing the race. So last year... you And then had, it all changes. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. Jeff and I were at the Union game the other night, and... Uh, I was texting back and forth with you, and that was when Omaha Beach was scratched. And he was the the favorite for the race. And so I said, do you have your official picks out yet? Thankfully, you hadn't put them out. Tell me the impact of the race favorite going out this early. Well, it's not only the race favorite. it's It's a horse that would be setting the pace. And when I'm analyzing a race like the Kentucky Derby, I want to find out how fast the race is going to go at the onset. And Omaha Beach the favorite in the race was supposed to be one of the pace setters in the race. So that does change the entire analysis once he's scratched. We did see another horse scratch, the 11 horse. Tell me a little about him. You thought, Jeff Jeff asked you before the show if it's rainy, if, who are the mudders, the people who perform well in the, the bad conditions. Which, would, by the way, is a great routine for Abbott and Costello. Oh, it's but, a, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> but we'll leave that there, Jeff, and we'll let you talk about so what does that do him going out now you're down to 19 horses in the race right you'll have 19 horses high cow the 11 that was scratched was a a horse that was known to come on at the stretch so i don't think it's going to make a difference so at this point if if that's not going to make a difference if it does rain i know you say that you don't think it's going to rain a lot but if it does who's how do you figure out who is the horse? I mean, you talked to me about it beforehand, but for people yeah. that don't know it, how do you figure out? Because these these are three-year-olds, so they haven't raced that much. Right. How do you deal with that? 
Well, I would look at past performances of these horses uh, to see who had excelled on the mud. But because it's a, a limited sample, most of these horses have only run four or five times in their entire life. Uh, one mud start doesn't necessarily determine if that horse is a mudder, as Abin and Costello would say. <laughs> uh, so I would also look at the pedigree of the horse. Pedigree in this race is extremely important. And the, the racing forms will tell you which of the sires and dams and the broodmare sires were good mutters in their lifetime. And they're looking at this chart, I see that most of the horses had good mud pedigree. Generally, you would like a horse, if it's a significant rainstorm like we had last year or the year before, you would look for horses that stay in front because theoretically it would be more difficult for a stretch runner to make up a lot of ground if it's a rainstorm and that the horses that are running on the lead for the race would have an advantage if, if the rain is significant. I don't think we're going to get that type of rainstorm tomorrow at the so, Derby. So my question about that, looking at the parents, does it really, I mean, there, is there really that kind of correlation? Because I have to tell you, my, my dad was 6'9 and could shoot, <laughs> and, and I can't, so... <laughs> Obviously, so Jeff, if somebody Jeff's was clearly, betting on Jeff's me, clearly not a horse winning the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> well, I mean, that's or a right. basketball player. Well, Smarty Jones, for example, his sire, uh, elusive quality, was not known to be a distance horse. But then you have a great horse that's produced like a Smarty Jones, who was able to handle the distance. So it's not always the case. My dad was five foot nine, and I turned out to be five foot eight, and I think that's the uh, more likely uh, connection. There's a horse in this race that was bred by a horse, Tappet. That's the number eight horse. Uh, and they, that horse, Tappet, is a 200. And to breed your horse and to get a live foal from a Tappet horse will cost the, the owner $225,000 per live foal. Wow. Now, that horse, Tappet, produces big, strong horses that have often done well. Uh, the the, the uh, progeny has done well in the Kentucky Derby. And that's why pedigree is so important. Keep in mind, these horses um, have never run a mile and a quarter. This is a longer distance than any of these horses have ever run. So you look to see what their parents did in their lifetime to see whether the child can do the same. You said they've also never run in front of 150,000 people before, which is kind of a big thing. <laughs> yeah. And I've often said that it's very difficult to, to uh, handicapped the Kentucky Derby for two reasons. Number one, as you said, Jason, uh, none of these horses have run a mile and a quarter in front of 150,000 screaming people. And maybe more importantly, they've never run against 19 or 20 other horses. And they'll probably never have to do that again. So when you're handicapping a race, you want to look at past performances under like circumstances and in this race, you can't do that because of the distance is so extraordinary and because of the size of the field. And, of course, 150,000 people are screaming from the moment of the call to the post until the finish. You've talked about the size of the field and how big it is compared to the other races. Why do, they, why do the Kentucky Derby allow such a large size field? Because it seems like it, it could cause more injuries to the horses. Well, Traditionally, it has not, uh, but I think they do it because they want the best 23-year-olds in the world to run, and it's an arbitrary number to cut it off at 10 or 15. Uh, they have determined, the powers that be, determined that 20 horses 
can run. Uh, there has not been a significant injury in the Kentucky Derby in recent memory. So I don't think it's a direct connection between size of field and injury. But, you know, like all athletes, athletes do get hurt. How does it change the race that there won't be a, a horse in the one spot coming out of the gate as people try and get to the rail in this race? Yeah, well, the one spot is uh, very difficult. No horse in the Kentucky Derby has run and won in the one spot since 1986. It's a tough spot when you have 20 horses stampeding out of the gate to be. Moving uh, the slot over to the two-hole, so to speak, uh, makes it better for the one horse, in this case it's War of Will, uh, to get out well. And that's important for that horse in particular because tradition, because he likes to run in front. So if he has a little bit more wiggle room out of that gate, chances are he might get off to a better start rather than get squeezed at the very start, which would end his race at the at the onset. You have him as a potential pace setter in the race. Yeah, I have him as a pace setter. There are a few horses that I believe are going to run out in front. Um, you have the seven horse, Maximum Strength, who is trained by local trainer Jason Service. Uh, his brother, John Service, was the trainer of Smarty Jones. So there's good pedigree with training. And I think you'll have a couple of horses that may do a Hail Mary uh, try to run out in front and see if they can circle, wire the field. I don't think that'll happen. Um, I predict that uh, War of Will will be competitive, at least until the stretch. Uh, but I believe one of the horses coming from back will eventually win the race. Uh, is it significant? You've got a number of owners and trainers that have multiple entrants in the race this year. Bob Baffert's got three horses running. You mentioned Todd Pletcher. He's got two multiples with that does that impact the race at all in terms of the planning with the horses and the jockeys there no i don't think so i think the trainers uh hall of fame trainers like baffert and todd pletcher they try to win with each of the horses there are different owners for the horses so they have an obligation to those owners to get the horses ready and in this case bob baffert has three of the best horses in the race and he is an outstanding trainer he won the triple crown um, uh, and he knows what he's doing. So he is going for his sixth Kentucky Derby winner. Speaking of trainers, I do want to give a shout-out to Phil Aristone, who is a Hall of Fame trainer himself at Parks, and Ben Perkins, who's uh, a great trainer at Mammoth. They are outstanding trainers locally that uh, have had horses run in the Kentucky Derby, and they take very good care of the horses. How do you have trainers who have multiple horses in the same race. You know, it, it would be like if I had uh, triplets and, and, had, and had all of them. How do you decide who you're going to root for? How, do you, how does that work? The one well, in the front that's yeah. yours. Yeah, <laughs> the one that wins is the one they're rooting for. Uh, if I had three outstanding horses. You'd kill for one. <laughs> I would kill for one to yeah. be even considered for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, haven't been that fortunate just yet. Uh, but I, f I feel a parent answer coming on here. Yeah, yeah you, you. <laughs> I uh, love them all the same. To have yes, you love them all the same, uh -huh. and each one of the the three Baffert horses, for example, any one of those three can win this race. I think he's prepping each one as if it was the only horse he has in the race, and he has been successful running multiple horses. Todd Pletcher has two horses in this race, and uh, he has won the Kentucky Derby a couple of times, uh, but he always runs more than one horse in a race, and you prepare as best you can. See, as, as, as the skeptic lawyer, I'm sitting there <laughs> going, if I were another trainer who had a horse, 
I'd be concerned that they were doing basically a Ricky Bobby. Uh, and what I mean by that is you, is you have one horse that might go out and try to set the pace fast so that the other horse can slide behind at the end. <laughs> well, and, I, as I don't know if the jockey to... on the horse would appreciate that very much. <laughs> yeah, they want to have their ride. All the horses, all the trainers in this race are outstanding trainers. All the jockeys are the best in the world. And they are all going to be fighting each other, no matter who the trainer is. They want to win this race. The owners want to win. The trainers want to win. The jockeys want to win because it is a very lucrative race, not only in terms of the purse, but in terms of potential breeding down the road. How much does it hurt that uh, for, for the breeder like Omaha Beach not to have the horse in the Kentucky Derby? You know, I look at it this way. I give credit to the trainer and the ownership of that horse. No, because it's got to be a hard decision. It has to be heartbreaking mm -hmm. because to have a horse run and potentially win the Kentucky Derby is not only a personal thrill uh, for any horse owners, it's the ultimate in horse racing in my view, but it is also extremely lucrative, as I said, and for them to recognize that the horse was not well enough to run is a credit to that connection because uh, they decided to pull the plug despite the potential upside. So... All right, let's get down to the race. How do All you right. see it unfolding? Give our listeners some horses you think they should watch out yeah. for, anything fun we should know about. Well, I have a blog called The Fast Lane Handicapping. Uh, it's on Tumblr, and I urge you to read the full analysis. But what I start the analysis by saying is that if you're going to bet this race, bet your favorite number, birthday. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite stories of all time is I'm at the Borgata Hotel with my wife, and we're watching the Kentucky Derby, and a guy – a long shot won the race, and the long shots came in under him, and some random guy next to me shows me a ticket, and he asked me, did I win? And I look at the ticket, I look <laughs> at the board, I look at the ticket again, and I look at the board, and I said, dude, you just won a lot of money. He goes, really? How much did I win? I said, you won $30,000. But he hit the trifecta? No, he hit the superfecta, and Whoa. I said, and I said, I have to ask you, because I've been <laughs> analyzing this race for hours. And I have no idea how you selected those four horses in order. Uh, he goes, you know what? My grandson was just born. It's the date of his birth. And uh, that is handicapping the Kentucky Derby. So I don't have a grandson yet, so I shouldn't <laughs> bet. <laughs> is, that, is that the moral you of that story son, there? You, can, you no. can bet his birthday. The, the race is, yeah. is exciting if you bet your favorite number, your favorite color, favorite name. But uh, for handicapped junkies like myself, uh, we can't help ourselves but to handicap the race and, um, and the way I see this race unfolding, especially with Omaha Beach being scratched, I see a relatively slower pace for the Kentucky Derby. Not crawling slow, but not a super fast time that's going to advance all the horses uh, to a point that would be uncomfortable for the rest of the horses. So horses are going to be on the lead, as I said, maximum strength, uh, the number seven horse, uh, the number one horse, now out of the two-hole, War of Will, will be vying for the lead. You'll have a couple of horses seeking um, to run away with the race, but those usually come and go pretty quickly. And then you have a group of horses that will sit behind those leaders and wait to pounce at the right time. Uh, and you have the Baffert horses, the three Baffert horses that are each one, you can make an argument uh, – you can make an argument that each one of those horses will win this race handily. I don't know which one it would be, uh, but all three of them are outstanding horses. Improbable, the five, 
the 16 game winner, which was the horse of the year as a two-year-old last year, outstanding. Roadster. And Roadster, who won the Santa Anita Derby. Justify, who won the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown last year, he won the Santa Anita Derby. Uh, so could it be a repeat of that race? What's the length of the Santa Anita Derby? It's, it's a mile and an eighth. Okay. So the, the, the grade one prep races, the, um, the Florida Derby, uh, which was won by maximum strength, essentially wire to wire. Uh, the Santa Anita Derby run by Roadster. Those are some of the key prep races. And all of these horses, most of these horses ran in prep races. There's a horse that went to Dubai, uh, the 20 horse, uh, Boat Express, went to Dubai, finished second in a $2.5 million race. And because of that, although he's never won a race before, has qualified to run in the Derby. He had enough points uh, to qualify for the Derby, but he has never won a race before. It would be unthinkable for a maiden to win the Kentucky <laughs> Derby. I throw out all my handicapping uh, documents <laughs> that I've saved over the years because it would be worthless. Uh, in this race, I see it coming down the stretch. I don't think those pace setters that I mentioned will hold on. You never know. Um, but I do think a horse that was bred by Tappet, the only sire, uh, the only Tappet horse in this race is the number eight, Tacitus. And he is my prediction to win the Kentucky Derby. I do have uh, the belief that Improbable, one of the Baffert horses, will come in second, an mm -hmm. outstanding three-year-old. And third, I have uh, Code of Honor, which is uh, a horse that uh, is being ridden by John Velasquez, who is an outstanding jockey, won the Kentucky Derby with Always Dreaming two years ago. Uh, and I think he'll be an upset winner. And then there, you can bet, you can make an argument for all the other horses in the race. All right, Jeff, you're going to go take that and place the bet? I still want Roadster. Well, you can go bet Roadster mm -hmm. tomorrow at the Cooper River because in Jeff's, Jeff's day job as a freeholder. Tell me more. Because the weather's supposed to be great. He's got an yeah. event being planned on the Cooper River where you can go watch the horse race and place your bet. Well, Camden County does a great job with its special events. Camden County is hosting an event called Down in Derby Wine Festival. And they are opening the Cooper River for the Kentucky Derby. They're featuring all the New Jersey wines. Um, uh, people like John Bertuccelli, who's an assemblyman, will be there. John is essentially saved horse racing in the state of New Jersey uh, through his legislation. He'll be there. The Wine Festival will feature all the New Jersey wines. Uh, there'll be screen t big screen TVs to watch the race and... Uh, they've arranged for betting at the race, so wow. you can you have to wear um, a fancy hat. Yeah, uh, I'm going to wear my fedora. I think tomorrow. Pictures or it didn't happen. <laughs> 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 but uh, come out to Camden County and Cooper River Park tomorrow. It's going to be an outstanding, fun event. You can bet your favorite numbers and name, grandson's birthday, and just have a good time enjoying some New Jersey wine. I'm going to bet Jeff's birthday. That's how we're going to make this happen. Oh, that's touching. Uh, so you know. You're I not care. going to get anything. No, I'm not, I'm not going to win. It's, it's not going to happen. Well, uh, we, we hope you have a great day out there, and we'll definitely be watching your picks. We'll, we'll have you hang out here with us for a few minutes as we get back to the Sixers talk a little bit, but we'll definitely be watching the race. Thanks for the breakdown. Yeah, thanks, Jason and Jeff. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. It. No problem. Jeff, let's get back to the game real fast. Okay. Yeah. So what was the, we've talked about the atmosphere. You were down there game one of the first series yes. and it was pensive. 
Uh, what was the? Ooh, that's a that's a new word. What, for you. what was the? I opened the thesaurus before we started. <laughs> no, you're, I, you're, I was good. You're on the P's. No, your son's taking the SATs tomorrow. Yeah, that was my SAT studying. Okay, <laughs> I, I learned my words. I was good. Um, what was? Are the, you taking the SATs tomorrow? No, oh. <laughs> I, I I don't think I'd do any better than I did the first time <laughs> I did it. So uh, let's let's talk about. Obviously, we know how the game finished. Yeah. What was the atmosphere before the game started? Were people excited after the game to win that they pulled that out without Embiid healthy? There was clearly a buzz in the building that was lacking for game one. Okay. Um, I know I'm talking about from you know, game one in the Brooklyn series. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, everything got off to a great start. First of all, which has become a big thing. I'm sa- it's sad that it has, but so on the scoreboard, what did they say? They said. Injuries, none. Immediately, <laughs> the crowd went crazy. <laughs> Mike Scott was at. Did you think when they made that trade that Mike Scott would that, be a key component? Exactly. Of and, no. and and when Mike Scott came out on the court for warmups, people started cheering. And look, he played an important role, and he yeah. played minutes. Keith Pompey had a tweet. I mentioned it to you before the show. You got to give Elton Brand some credit with this team. Of the eight players some. that are in the rotation. With this team, only mm-hmm. two of them were drafted by the Sixers. Only three of them were on the roster at the start of this season. So you want to talk about how he's turned over the roster and, and prepared him for to play in this series. Same time, somebody else who's gotten a lot of criticism, Brett Brown has outcoached Nick Nurse. Yeah. Uh, he Clearly. has made him look silly now, so well, far. Not, not so far, because the first game, it was the other way. But games two but, and game three, there was yes. no adjustment from Nurse in game three. And the Sixers' defense in game three... With Butler running point and Simmons out there trying to guard Kawhi, you're just happy that Butler's running point. Uh-huh. That you've been crying for that all uh-huh. season long. And, and look and look how it's working. It works much better. Yeah. The, and, and the other thing that I'm impressed about with Brett Brown is that he's looking at matchups. That he is not being so rigid as to play this guys that got him here, kind of you know that kind of theory. Look at at Boban. Boban played in that first game and he he just cannot match up with these athletic centers, especially... He's he too slow. Exactly. So, and, I mean, Boban's been great for what Boban he is. Boban did not play in, until they were up by 20. Boban did not play yeah, last Yeah, Boban night. was the human cigar last night. <laughs> they lit that up when the game was over. That, that was not... Uh, there were a bunch of... Same thing. Give him credit that he is not loyal to a fault. I think that is the hardest thing as a coach is the, the guys that you've been around longest to have to make those decisions... And look at T.J. McConnell. We all know he's another kinda, human cigar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but he's but he was in the rotation. He's the heartbeat or, of that. If you go to like the the practices and stuff, T.J.'s kind of the heartbeat of that team. He's the cheerleader of that team. And and we heard so much over the course of the season about him. And was he being exposed by playing too much? Well. Brett's kind of sat him down on the bench, and TJ's still been that leader from the bench. Even towards the end of the season, TJ would be one of the first guys in off the bench, and now he's not, and he's, he's much more effective in that role. And you, and what I like most about that is that when it comes time, if if the Sixers advance to the second, the third round, and I think they're going to at this point, I'm convinced that Brett Brown is going to now be flexible enough to play the matchups instead of playing the guys that got you there. That he's ba- I don't know what happened in the locker room after game one, but clearly there was a, a light bulb went off for that whole team that, look, we got to do whatever it is that we can to win this game and win the next game. And the way that we have to do it is everybody's got to check their egos at the door and whatever is best, 
That's who's going out there. Whoever has to match up against whoever, that's what we're going to do. Uh, ben, you're not going to play the point every five seconds because it might be better for you to play underneath. But Ben has bought into that role, and he has locked down on Kawhi on defense. And and look, they, they well, have not it where, yesterday. No, even that. Kawhi didn't beat them last night. Kawhi's gonna get his points regardless of who's on them. Kawhi he only had seven. He only had seventeen points when Simmons was guarding him in the game. Okay. So he put up points, but mm-hmm. it wasn't all on Simmons. And Simmons makes him really work for it. If you're making him run around and work that much, then you get a Kyle Lowry situation where he was a minus twenty-seven in the game last night. He, he, he did also a get a shot from Ben Simmons. Did you happen to see that, Jeff? <laughs> uh, I heard about the shot. You, uh, you couldn't see that shot. The one thing that I did see was the cheap shot from, uh, what, what was it, Siakam, that where was he leg shot. whipped. That was a cheap shot. And, and Yeah, he, he went Grayson Allen there. By the way, when that happened, I don't know what they were showing on TV, but at the game, everybody was waving goodbye. Oh, yeah. There, they there thought was, he was going to be ejected. There, there was no way that wasn't a flagrant two. How could you say it wasn't? Well, I think it'll be updated, to, upgraded to a flagrant two, but it doesn't really mean much now. I don't know. Does yeah. that mean they suspend him for the next game if they upgrade a no, foul to a flagrant two? I don't know two? what they do. I don't know. I, I should I ask you those going. questions. They may find them. I should ask you those questions before we go on the air so we sound like we know <laughs> what we're talking about. You know what surprised me the most so far is the bench. The yeah. Sixers bench has outscored the Raptors 73-30. to 30. If I would have told you that when the series started, that the no Sixers way. bench no way. would outscore the Raptors 73-30, to 30, you would have told me that I was crazy. Uh, I'd still tell you you're you crazy. Would, but you would yeah. tell me that I'm crazy as well. <laughs> um, what else so far? So, so you're kind of turned around on this because you were surprised when I made my prediction that the Sixers would win in six. It looked really bad when I said they'd win game one yeah. and they lost that, but then they won game two, so they did steal one. So right. I'm still potentially on there. Mm-hmm. You are now on the, the Sixers are going to win in how many games? Uh, I'm saying five now. No if, way. Well, if they if they win tomorrow night, do you have any question about whether or not they're going to pull it off tomorrow night? I mean, tomorrow or Sunday afternoon. I think that they're going to win on Sunday afternoon, but I think they're okay. going to get a different Raptors hey. team. I think that I think the Raptors are going to be much. Where are more, they going to come from? They've missed what, a lot what? of shots. I think they're going to be much more aggressive in this. Well, I'll game. tell you, the guy who doesn't miss any shots is Kawhi Leonard. No, I mean, every one of his shots is with somebody in his and they're, face. Yeah, they're all so contested, and not just in his face, like all over him, multiple people, and he still drains I had so it. much pity during that game because poor Toronto has has gone all in with Kawhi Leonard. He's gone after this year. Yeah, they've been, well, and that's there is their, no way that he's staying with that team with Kyle Lowry as the point guard. And then what do they have left there? Like that's Toronto's going to start they all got over a again. Year old uh, Marcus All. Uh, something the Sixers will have to do. They're going to have to find a new assistant coach next season. Monty Williams off to Phoenix. Uh, I told you he was going to the Suns. He's he's going to stay in coach. I mean, come on. If you're Monty Williams and you have a chance to go to the Suns with all these young players and and what's that was going the team on you, in, in that the was Lakers? The, that was the why team. Why would you thought? go there? Yeah, looks like Teron Lue will end up as the Lakers coach. LeBron will still really be the Lakers coach. We mm-hmm. all know that. Yep. Uh, anything surprise you in the other matchups so far, Eastern Conference or Western Conference? No, not at all. It, no. I was surprised that Boston blew out Milwaukee in game one. I didn't think they'd have that performance. I, I mean, I didn't think they'd blow them out. I think that Boston is the better team when they all play as a team. And that's always been the, that's been the problem with them with this whole season is you don't know what you're going to get from Kyrie Irving. And you don't know what you're going to get from Tatum. And those are the two pieces that they kind of counted on, and they're playing together. And well, I think Milwaukee's being exposed as not really having a good point guard. Well, this is why we wanted to play Milwaukee instead of Toronto and Boston. 
I mean, you see. Okay, so all right, so then I'm going to ask you the question: who who would you who do you want to see? Milwaukee. No, see, I don't. I don't want to play Boston. I want to play Boston. I I I want to I want to beat the best. I I I want this city. Oh, don't give me! I want to beat the best. I want to win a title. Okay, I don't care if they beat the little sisters of the poor on the way there. Yeah, I want a championship. But but see, because you're 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 an end of the road guy. Uh, As as a as a person who loves the journey, I will enjoy the journey just as much if they beat a bunch of mummy out on the court. How much fun will this city have? With the Sixers Celtics rivalry, and what will the medical bills be from the ulcers of that series? I just think it'll be so much. I mean, look, I grew up on that rivalry. I know you and, want that back. Well, you want that I back because you want Andrew Tony ringing the bell against the Celtics. I know what you want. I think that's well, you, all that you, you know want. I do want that. I also think that Bobby Jones should be ringing I, the bell. I too. want somebody to ring the bell yeah. in the NBA championship series. And so I that don't care. I don't care whether what, they what? play Boston or Milwaukee. First of all, you still have to beat Toronto, and I don't. Yeah. That's not done yet. Toronto is a very done. good team. I just said that I want to have fun, and I will have a blast. Uh, yeah, I'll have an ulcer too. I'll, I'll be chewing down my my lantern or yeah, tums or whatever like those, anybody has with them. The games against Boston. Yeah, that's yeah. It'll just be uh, just the 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 anticipation of those games. You staying up late for the Western Conference games? No, I know this is no, very it, pa- it, it's very past your bedtime. <laughs> Yeah, it was past your bedtime before you cut out caffeine. <laughs> it's way past yeah, your bedtime now. Th- th- these last uh, 11 days have been, whew. You know they make this thing called DVR and they replay games? Just wanted to let you know if you can't Oh, you, I, I watch them. I'm just not watching them live. Okay, so any thoughts on Golden State up 2-0 against the Rockets or Portland being tied 1-1 against Denver? Other no- than Damian Lillard, still amazing. We're going to go to a commercial because when we get back, we got somebody who might throw us off the air. Okay, that sounds yeah. good. We'll, right. we'll go to the break. When we get back, we've got MLB umpire Phil Cuzzy on. Stick with us. Sports lets people live their dreams, overcome obstacles, and achieve goals. But what's your unimaginable? Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? To push your limits? The A-Fatty clothing brand believes we're all capable of going far beyond we previously imagined. To overcome your obstacles and achieve your goals. Life gives you the chance to push harder, to dream bigger, and to do whatever it takes to conquer the unimaginable. And to do it with A Fatty On You, the original street leisure clothing brand. Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports. With the biggest names on and off the field. It's the heart of sports each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN. With former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville, Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's the heart of sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. All right, Jeff, I am going to let you do the introduction on this one because... Um, I don't want to get thrown out of the studio before we start. So what you makes make... you think I'm going to? Well, uh, if you screw up, he might not like it, and he might toss you. All right. Well, I, I believe we have on the line Phil Cuzzy, National League umpire. Is that correct? How are you? How hey. are you guys? Hey, Phil. How you doing? You know, I have had a few ejections over my 20-year career, but I don't think I've ever thrown anybody out of a radio station. See, and I'm not trying. First time for everything, I'm right? not trying to give you a first there. I, I it's funny. <laughs> I was looking for pictures of you to post for the show, and Jeff goes find a good picture, and like a lot of the pictures of you throwing people out of the game. I'm like, I don't really want to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the only time I've ever thrown anybody out of the game is when they really had to go. They deserved it. That that's clearly. Well, that's clearly what it is. 
and, and sometimes they wanted to go. That's right. They def- they were so done. We try to be as accommodating as as we can be. <laughs> so actually, that so that brings up a question: Has has any coach or player said to you, "Hey, man, I just want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> can you toss me?" <laughs> well, you, you know that that did happen. It's funny that you say that. It was uh, when Grady Little was managing the Red Sox, and um, we had had a throwing incident. A couple a, a couple of Red Sox hitters got. Uh, hit the night before I think there were four of them the night before and uh, and uh, the next night uh, I forget who it was hit a home run and I forget who the big first baseman was they had on that team and first pitch right uh, right behind his back and so I ejected uh, I ejected the pitcher and uh, he didn't say a word he just kind of walked off and Grady came out and said well, Phil, if you're going to eject him, you're going to have to eject me. And I said, oh, come on, Grady. Don't make, I'm going to have to already write paperwork for one. Don't make me have to write it for two. <laughs> and he said, no, no. If you, I said, well, why? Why would I have to eject you too? He said, because if you ejected my starting pitcher in the first inning, I can't stand to sit around and see what's going to come out of my bullpen. For the next <laughs> Oh can't make goodness. it up, right? Uh-huh. I, I am so glad that we asked so, you that so you question. Actually, do you actually have to fill out paperwork like you're writing tickets? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, that's that's the worst part about any job is the paperwork, right? So uh, we're no exception to that. Uh, you know, there has to be game reports that are filled, uh, you know, filled out and sent uh, and sent in. And uh, and then, you know, that's it's like a legal document. And wow. uh, so it has to be correct. It has to be accurate. And it just goes to the commissioner's office. All right. Well, well, Phil, we kind of know your journey, but we wanted to share that because umpires to us are just as important as every other facet of baseball. And, and the human element is, is still important to, to us. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit about your journey. And, you know, just like players, umpires start in the minor leagues. So where did you start in the minor leagues and what was that experience like for you? Well, you know, the first step for us is uh, umpire school, and uh, which is uh, in Florida, and um, it's a five-week course. Not everyone that that goes to the umpire school wants to go into professional baseball. You may have high school umpires that that attend that just want to become better and maybe go to, to become college umpires. But but um, so that's where it begins at umpire school, and then uh, my my first. Uh, if you graduate in the top percentage of the class, uh, you go to this evaluation program for, for an additional week. And then from there, if you get selected to go there, um, you, you're most likely going to go out into the lowest of the minor leagues. My, my first uh, minor league was the New York Penn League in 1985. Wow. And, and, then, and then after that, South, the Sally League? I, I went from the Penn League to the Sally League, and I got promoted um, – shortly after the start of that season to the Carolina League. And then I went, I spent two years in the Southern League, which uh, an Italian from Jersey being in the Southern League was quite an experience. But, <laughs> the funny accent. But it, was huh? all, it, was, it was all fun. I, I couldn't hide. They, 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 they picked me out right away. And, uh, <laughs> the minute you opened your mouth, they knew who you were. <laughs> that so, was it. That so, was it. So we're used to... T- to hearing from the the players in the minor leagues about the long bus rides. Obviously, you don't travel with them on the buses. How'd you guys get around? Yeah, we, we travel by car. 
and it's just uh, you know in in until AAA, um, you're traveling just you and one other, and one is designated as the driver and the other is the rider, and wherever your schedule brings you, the two of you are going by car, but no matter no matter what it was, the uh, the, the very first year 1985 in the Penn League we had a league meeting in Auburn, New York. And then from Auburn, we had we received our schedules, and my partner and myself then had to drive to Watertown, New York, and we went through Syracuse, and there was a AAA game uh, going on that night in Syracuse. So we, we stopped, and we, we met the AAA guys, and they they took us out for, for, uh, for a dinner after the game. And by the time we got to our hotel in Watertown, it was probably like four o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, here's this little roadside motel and there wasn't a light on, but there was a phone booth. If you guys are old enough to remember phone booths. I am. Jason's not. I am old (laughs) enough to remember the phone booth. (laughs) So there's a phone booth in the parking lot. And and so we got on the phone, we dialed the, we dialed the office and I guess we woke the, uh, the gentleman who owned the place. We woke him up and, uh, and, you know, we said, uh, you know, this is uh, uh, Phil Cuzzy and Rich Dawn coming in. Uh, you know, we're the umpires for, for the Watertown uh, team. Opening days tomorrow. And he said, well, what are you calling me now for? Just take any room that there's not a car in front of the door and we'll, uh, we'll see you in the morning. <laughs> so it was, it was quite an experience. What, ha- what happens if, so you said one person's the driver and one's, one's the, the passenger. The rider, How, yeah. The rider. So who's got the car? The, the, well, the driver. We, we, we the, hope that the driver ha- has a car. Yeah. Because, uh, Does that, it did that ever happen that somebody didn't have a car? <laughs> well, you would think it wouldn't make much sense, right? If you but... sign up to be a driver, that you certainly would come with a car. But as luck would have it, um, <laughs> with me, um, I never signed up to, to be a, a driver, but but the, the guy who I was working with, as a matter of fact, he, he lived outside of Philadelphia. He came, he showed up at the league meeting as the driver without a car. And uh, when he first told me, I said, well, you better go tell the league president who happened to be the mayor of the town, Mayor Moss. And, uh, and so he went up to the mayor and he was kind of a little nervous and league president. And, and he said, uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, I, I don't have a car. He said, well, are you the rider? He said, no, no, I'm the driver. He said, you came to this meeting as a driver without a car? What do I need you for? <laughs> and uh, so, but, but he, you know, he knew enough people in town and he sent us to a, uh, a friend of his who owned a used car dealership. And, uh, and he, he, we rented a little uh, Subaru station wagon. Oh and that, that got us through the season. All right, so we we move from the Subaru station wagon to you have this amazing career in the major leagues with experiences that people can only imagine. What was it like to be behind the plate for a World Series? That that was it was a great feeling that that you know I can't even I can't even describe. You know, anyone who ever steps on the field, whatever capacity. Um, you know, in, in Major League Baseball, their goal is to get to the World Series. So, you know, that, that goes for trainers and coaches and, and certainly the players, but umpires as well. 
you know, our goal is to get to the World Series, and and um, you know, it took me 19 years to do it, but you know, to to, to be able to walk on the field and uh, and know I was working the plate, uh, it, it's just a it's just a great feeling, and you know, it, it just took you know, it took a, a little little time to, for it all to sink in, but really, once the first pitch comes, you know, then you're saying, okay, it's the same game, and uh, and that's what happened, and. But it was it was a wonderful experience. You were behind the plate for uh, a no hitter for Cole Hamels, uh, obviously something that Jeff, were you at that game? No, yeah. I think it was in Chicago. Wasn't it was in it? Chicago. That was a Chicago game. It was. Game. Yeah, it was in Chicago. I, I believe it was Cole's last game. It was. He got the traded Bills. the next yeah. day. Yeah. So what was yeah. that like to call a no hitter? And and how does do you, like when do you know? <laughs> well, you're going to think that I'm I'm making it up, but. Um, I didn't know that he had a no-hitter. And uh, if you remember that game, the last out of the game was like a circle catch out in, in left field and uh, uh, circus catch, I, I, I meant to say. And and, and after, after whoever was in left field made the final out, I see everybody start to run out to Cole Hamels. And I'm thinking – I heard rumors that he was going to be traded, but I don't think they'd be that happy that he was traded. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, I bet you I just worked a no hitter. I looked up on the board and I saw all zeros. I said, okay, he threw a no hitter. I didn't know. And I, I was glad I didn't know. You, you, but you've worked a couple other games where, where you called a no hitter, correct? I, I had a no hitter back in San Diego uh, with, if you remember the pitcher for uh, the Cardinals, Bud Smith. And you may not even remember the name because I don't think after that happened, uh, I don't. I don't even know if he was around. You know, the year after that. But um, did you know that one was coming? I, I, I didn't know that was coming until <laughs> he came up to bat in the ninth inning, and uh, and I heard somebody from the from the uh, from the stands yell, "Hey, Bud, don't worry about all those zeros on the board." I, said, what I look up on the board and I see that he's pitching no hitter. So I, I had to go through the the, uh, the bottom of the ninth, knowing that it was a no hitter, but um, but uh, it, it was better than knowing in, in the fourth or fifth, I guess. So I got a I got a I got a good question for you. At least I think it's a good question. Who's the chattiest catcher that you've ever been behind? Uh, the, the chattiest catcher. Um, Jeff Stockton. I, I, uh, yeah, well, I'm trying to think. You know, I've uh, been behind you know, a lot Brian of catchers. McCann, Brian McCann is is, is a pretty uh, friendly guy, pretty chatty guy, and um, uh, you know they're they're all you know I would say you know, and and they don't all talk as as much as as others, but um, but Brian uh, he likes to have a conversation, <laughs> but uh, but they're, they're all they're all pretty friendly. I I always like when the catcher comes up and gets a couple of hits. At least to hit his first at bat because then you know he's going to come back in a better mood. <laughs> <laughs> See, those are things that you don't even think about when you're watching the game. But the ump definitely cares about that if the catcher's happier or not happy. Uh, the the increase in in technology in sports is always something that fascinates me. How hard is it for umpires now? Um, obviously, there are tools to assist you in terms of replay and other things, but at the same time. You're trying to make a bang bang call in real time, and immediately there's a replay up on the board, zooming in, replaying it in slow motion back and forth. How hard has the integration of technology been for the umpires? Well, it's it's been helpful, you know, to say the least. It's been helpful, but you know, in terms of of actually being on the field and working in real time, 
you don't really think about it. You know, you, you know that, that you're going to be scrutinized and you know that, that uh, when it's a close play, the manager is going to hold up his hand and he's going to turn it back to, to the phone, to his, you know, to his bench coach on the phone, talking to the clubhouse who's looking at the, the replay in slow motion, high def. And, uh, and you, you, you kind of hope that he doesn't come back and, and put both hands to his ears, meaning we want to challenge that. But when it's really happening, it's the same job to us, you know, and, um, you know, th- there may have been little things that we may make adjustments to in terms of positioning, but, um, but as far as, you know, us actually calling the game, you know, ball strike safe out, it- it's the same. And, you know, we're certainly under much more scrutiny, as I said, but, um, any thoughts on the the pitch clock and the efforts to sort of speed up the game uh, that baseball's trying? You know, I know that they're using it in the minor leagues, and we experimented with it during spring training, and then it was decided by, you know, the commissioner's office that we weren't going to use it during the season. So I, I don't really know, you know, if the Players Association had anything to do with that, uh, or if, you know, I, I know that there's a there's a, a big effort just for speeding up the game. And, you know, and, and I think everybody is in favor of that. You know, I, I know that as an umpire, uh, I don't want the, the pitcher walking around the mat. You know, for me, and I would think the same for, for you know, player. The, 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 the least amount of time that you have to think about nothing, you know, the better off that you're going to be. So I, I love when a pitcher just gets on the mound and just throws. So, so does so Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, I think it, even the fans, everybody. And know. don't and, and I would assume that the players do too because they're not, they're not back on their heels. You know, it's it's nice to to have a flow of action going on as opposed to just kind of standing around. I I would assume it has to be that way yeah. because I, I know it's that way for us. So last week we had for a short time one of your colleagues Gary Darling on to talk about Ums care and wanted to to kind of finish that conversation, find out how that how that uh, online auction went, and uh, how you, how you got involved in Ums Care? Well, you know, um, it, it's it's really it's a great and it's grown so much since the days when it first started. I mean, it's uh, you know j- just the fact that that you know in the very beginning it was just started by a couple of uh, umpires' wives, and it's grown into you know where where they've actually uh, hired. Um, I think that there's the three. Uh, the, the two Jennifers and the Amy, uh, who, who all do a great job, but it, it's just you know I mean it, it, you have to give back and uh, you know for Care, there's there's so many different programs from you know giving tickets the ticket program uh, bringing um, you know underprivileged kids out to the ballpark where they would never have an opportunity to come to the ballpark. And, uh, you know, they, they come in and, and they come early and we give them a, you know, behind the scenes tour. They come into the umpire's room. They meet the guys. You know, we walk them on the field and there might be batting practice going on. And, uh, you know, and, and they get a big kick out of that. And, uh, you know, we, there's, they're involved in, in hospital visits. You know, we go to different hospitals uh, during the season and just visit sick, uh, you know, sick children. And, um uh, you know, we bring these Build-A-Bear uh, program. you know, the Build-A-Bears, and they select the bear that they want, the clothes that they want. And, um, you know, it, it's really, 
it's touching to see and it, it really just makes you appreciate you know sometimes we complain because our flight is canceled or our flight is delayed and you know you see these kids in the hospital and it's it, it's really sometimes it's it's heart-wrenching so um so it's a great program and you know i mean how could you not get involved with it you know every umpire contributes you know in some way and you and, and you not only you not only do ump's care you have another charity that's near and dear to your heart yeah you know um one of my best friends growing up uh he he contracted uh ALS Lou Gehrig's disease and died at the young age of 49 and that that was kind of a uh, you know, when I first signed my contract, you know, my wife said to me, you know, you have to do something, you have to give back. And, and you know, whatever it is, you have to, you know, I mean, how, how blessed are we that now that you're, you know, you've made it to the major leagues. And and I started to think about it. And then and then this happened, you know, to, to my buddy Robert. And uh, it was kind of a, a natural flow, unfortunately. And, um, you know, what started out is just trying to raise money to, to, to purchase a computer that he was able to, you know, ALS takes away all muscle movement. And the only thing left is the movement of the patient's eyes. And so we wanted to just raise enough money to uh, buy this computer that he could type using his eyes. And, and we did that. And, uh, but, but there was such a, you know, I didn't want to be in the fundraising business and I didn't want to, uh, you know, I said, I just want to raise enough money to buy this computer and, and be done with it. But the the support from our community was so, so large and so overwhelming. I had this extra money. And I said, what, what do I do? So what we did was we, we applied for and received a uh, 501c3 from, from the uh, Internal Revenue Service. And, uh, and then we just started having like an annual dinner. And it's become, I could never have imagined when we started where it's come, you know, to this day. And we have, we have over 600 people, just local people from our community every year that come. This was our 15th year. And again, you know, being blessed with, with my position, I've had, I have a mystery guest every year who's a speaker. And, and just to name a few, we've had Joe Torrey, Tommy Lasorda, Joe Girardi just came, uh, Tony LaRussa, Bob Costas has come more than once. We had Joe Piscopo, who's a Jersey guy. And uh, it's just become, you know, it's just become like a big deal in our little town. And, uh, and, and we're, we're raising a lot of money. We, we give money to research. We give money to, um, you know, to patients, whether it's patient care, to put in a chairlift or, uh, you know, just whatever insurance isn't going to cover. We give scholarships to students whose whose parent or grandparent may have been a victim of ALS. So it's really been it's really been uh, unbelievable for you know how the community got involved, and it's just a, it's almost like a big reunion that we have every year for well, for a, a real good cause. Well, Phil, you tell us next time it, it, that you have that, and we'll we'll make sure to to put the word out, and we'll make sure to be there if you want us there. Uh, we, That'll be great. We we know that you're. I think you're in Cleveland for a game today. We are in Cleveland. I, I don't know if the weather's much better in Philly. All but, right. Uh, it's, it's so far it's good. 
So far, so, so, so good. So don't, but... don't send the bad weather here. Um, but, <laughs> but we'll let you go. But before you go, I do the big question I have for you is, if umpires had, had walk-up music, what would yours be? <laughs> what would my walk-up music be? Uh, um, Jeff asked this question of athletes, whoever it is. He's just curious. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it would be the theme song to uh, to Judge Judy because I watch her every day before I jump <laughs> in the shower before she's going to the game. And that and, is uh, why Jeff asked that question because we get answers <laughs> like that. Thank you so much, Phil, for joining us. We'd love to have you back on in the future, and definitely we'll spread the word about what you're doing in the community. Thanks so much for the Thank time. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jason. Good to talk to you guys. Take have, care, Have bro. a great one. Jeff, that was fun. It was. I, I actually did a lot of money raising for ALS in college. That mm-hmm. was because uh, uh, Lou Gehrig was a member of my fraternity, and so that was our, our big thing that we raised money for. So. I didn't know you went to Yale. I didn't. Uh, he was a fight out at Yale, but I was at a different school. Uh, thanks for reminding my parents that I wasn't good enough to get into Yale. Jeff, let's get back to talking sports. Yeah. What are we closing with? We're going to get to the union extra time in a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk Phillies? Phillies are in first place. Phillies are in first place. Yep. Are you any concerns? No. So you don't worry about uh, Harper's well, struggles? My, my concern is if Gene Segura goes out again because... I still believe that Gene Segura is going to be the heartbeat of this team. He is, clearly. Him and McCutcheon setting up the table is going to make it so much easier and, and put everybody in the right positions. Look what happens if you put Mikel Franco back to the A spot. And so if Kingery gets healthy and all these guys kind of stay in these spots instead of last year's kind of you know you musical chairs, it, the, 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 I'm not worried about it at all. You mentioned Mikel Franco. He's got the third lowest among 191 qualified hitters in terms of strikeout to walk ratio. That to me, that is only, that the most stunning stat. He trails only Mike Trout. Think, Did you ever think you would say Mikel Franco and Mike Trout in the same sentence? Other than the Phillies are going to trade Mikel Franco in a deal for <laughs> Mike Trout? No, it, it, you just never no, but, thought it would happen. But I mean, you and I both talked about this in the off season about whether or not they should sign Machado or Harper, and and I think we both agreed that Machado was not the right fit for here, and people. In the offseason, didn't even talk about Mikel Franco. Did you not like Harper getting booed this week, by the way, Mr. Anti-Boo? I think I made that clear to anybody who follows our Twitter page is is that I, I don't see the point of it. I never will. I, I thought see- Harper handled it well. I would have booed myself, too. That was a good reaction from a player that got booed. I'm glad he handled it well. He shouldn't have to handle it at all. There's no reason to boo your own team. It doesn't do anything. You want to get some extra time with the union? Sure. I don't know if we're going to be able to get the audio of your question because you took too long talking now. Oh, yeah. So um, we were down at the union game the other night. I was afraid the umpire was going to throw us out, so we let him talk. I thought we could be a first He was great, by the way. He was very entertaining. It's it's been fun on the show. So we were down there the other night for the game. Uh, They won 2-0 the other night. They are now tied for first place with D.C. United. Did you think you'd be saying that 10 games into the season? Yes. You did? Yes. I told people that. All right, Mr. Hopeful, (laughs) Mr. Optimist. But but, so where did you have more fun? In the press box or second second half? In the Sons of Ben section. uh, Look, we can't repeat a lot of what's said in that section. But the Aronson one was good. Yes. So for people that weren't standing where we were standing... Uh, Aronson got mauled by someone, and then someone yelled out, "Hey, you just assaulted a minor." Yes, and <laughs> it's, it was uh, the Sons of Ben have some interesting chants down in their end of the of the game there. And the players, you know, like Fafa Picot, who I think is probably their best their best scorer. I just love that you can say that name now and know who he is. <laughs> is 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 can be their best scorer. I mean, he's he's got so much skill, 
And he's so, by the way, he's just, he looks like he's you very, can pick him up with very like one soft, hand. He's very soft-spoken. Yeah, and, and and he came into the locker room for his press conference <laughs> and, and, and said, yeah, I know the people on Twitter are probably have been saying that I suck, but you know I score my foot. And I thought that was it was interesting to again hear the athlete's perspective that they do hear these things. They do for for and, everything that people say. Oh, nobody pays attention to this. Yeah, they athletes hear athletes hear and see a lot of what people say. Right. About so then them. the question is how how mature are you and how professional are you? And just like Harper, I would put put call in the same spot. Is he 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 takes it with a grain of salt. I'm sure there's certain things that do bother him, but he's able to perform his job, and it is a job for these guys. Well, even when we interviewed Mickey Moniak for our High Hope show, which you can catch on Thursdays leading into Reading, he said the same thing that you know those are the people that they're not the ones making decisions about where I'm going to go in the organization, right? And so you have to stay focused and and block it out. Mm-hmm. Basically, Union did have an injury the other night. You concerned about another goalie going down? Uh, yeah, we're down to our foot. Well, I mean, you got Carlos, um, but if he goes down, then you got a 27 year old from there's like a pool of goalies. Which I'm just not comfortable with that idea. Are you? <laughs> I just enjoy that you're learning so much there's, about there's soccer. There's a pool of goalies. I mean, one week he could be on one team, one team. One. How, how do you know he's like really trying? I, I, look, I'm assuming that they do, but uh, that's not. I'd rather have the kid from Bethlehem Steel come up, whoever that is, than a pool goal. Even before that, they've had 26 players play this season, and Sergio Santos and Marco Fabian still haven't really played. So. They're going to get some injection of talent as the season goes on. Hopefully they can keep this going. Yeah, they've done a really good job just on all facets of the game. Jeff, any last words for the week? And it doesn't have to be one word. It can be multiple. Sixers. Sunday. By the way, the city's going to be nuts. I was going to say, you can be there. Broad Street Street run in the morning, and then Phillies, and then Sixers game four. Go and cheer. Don't boo, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.